Hi y'all, this is Carrie D. Welcome to the Coffee with Carrie Homeschool Podcast. Join me every Thursday for some much needed encouragement, coffee, and conversation. It's my prayer that this podcast will help you homeschool one step at a time, one day at a time, and one cup of coffee at a time. Hey, if you're blessed each week by our podcast, make sure you check out my book, Just Breathe and Take a Sip of Coffee, Homeschool and Step with God. Then share our podcast with some of your homeschooling friends who might need a little encouragement this week. You can also find me at my website, coffeewithcarry.org. So stick around, pour yourself a cup of coffee, put your feet up, and take a little coffee break with me. Let's get started. Hey, Southern California, it's that time of the year again. I hope you can join us for our sixth annual mom event. This year, it's going to be Saturday, February 25th. Now, it's a day full of encouragement, fellowship, and worship. This year, I'm so excited, Jennifer Papito, author of Mothering by the Book, is going to be joining us too. Early bird registration is only $25 this year, and it goes through the month of January. Then in February, registration, which also includes your lunch and, of course, fresh brewed coffee, is $35. If you're feeling overwhelmed, have a bad case of the winter blahs, or you're hitting that February wall a bit early this year, then you need to join us. Go to coffeewithcarry.org for more information or to register today. I hope to see you there. Hey, y'all. This week, you are in for a treat. I'm talking with Connor Boyack, one of my favorite authors. Now, in this little coffee break, I discussed with Connor one of his books, The Passion Driven Education, How to Use Your Child's Interest to Ignite a Lifelong Love of Learning. Now, Connor is an author, a public speaker, a TV show producer, a podcaster, a libertarian communicator, and a homeschooling dad. He's the founder and president of Libertas Institute, which is a free market think tank in Utah. He's also the author of 36 books, including the Tuttle Twin Books, a children's series introducing young readers to economic, political, and civic principles. Now pour yourself a shot of espresso and put his books in your Amazon cart now, because you will want to read them after this interview. Let's jump right in with my conversation with Connor Boyack. Well, hi, Connor. I am so excited that you can uh, join me today. It's such an honor to talk with you. Uh, thank you for being here and for sharing your ideas. Um, like I was telling you early, the first time I heard about you was when I read the book Skip College with my son. My son and I devoured it in a couple of days. It was that good. And so after that, I realized you were the author of Tuttle Twins. So I went ahead and I bought a few of those to look at them and love them and started recommending them to a bunch of people. And then oddly, a friend of mine um, said, you've got to read this book, Passion Driven Education. And I said, OK, sure. And when she told me you were the author... I said, okay, I got to read it because (laughs) it seems like everything you write, I love. So um, thank you for uh, hanging out with me today and sharing your words with the mamas out there and the parents and the dads. But can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your homeschooling and what you do? Sure. So I'm what I call a full-time freedom fighter. I have the great honor and blessing of spending my entire day thinking of ways to get the government out of people's lives. And so we work with elected officials, we get laws changed, we've changed over 100 laws, many of their, uh, many of them were the first of their kind in the whole country. So we're a pretty innovative kind of policy group trying to find ways to protect people's rights and uh, get regulations and stuff out of the way of families and entrepreneurs. So I've been doing that for about 11 years. 
Uh, I'm a public school graduate. I have no fancy degrees or acronyms. Most people think I'm a lawyer. I'm not, although I kind of pretend to be one or at least put off that vibe. A lot of people think I have an economics background because I'm teaching kids economics and always talking about this stuff. I have, you know, everything I've learned that I do professionally, I learned after college. I went to college. I was a web developer. I built websites for a living. I had no need of going to college. I, it didn't really serve me professionally. So it was after college where I really discovered a passion for history and for economics and understanding all these kind of forces that shape world events. And so I read and I read and I read and I read, but it was that kind of um, leisurely reading of something that I was actually interested in. And along the way, I came across John Taylor Gatto and I start reading him and now I'm like, I, okay, I, I, I got, I got, I can't make my kids go through what I went through <laughs> only to, you know, in their mid twenties, discover a love of learning and have the time and mental energy to focus on what they care about rather than what society says that, you know, you must learn all these things. So uh, I was engaged at the time. I handed the book. Uh, it's called Dumbing Us Down, the Hidden yeah. Curriculum of Compulsory Schooling. So I handed it to my then fiance and said, what do you think? And she was on board from day one. So uh, homeschool our kids, uh, have for a long time. We actually just put them in a, a private school, an Acton Academy. Uh, so now we do kind of a mix of home education and a little bit of private school as well. Um and basically, I feel like, you know, government schools are uh, destroying our country, uh, raising a generation of kids that don't understand history, apathetic about what's going on, entitled, uh, and really uninformed about the ideas that matter. And if I'm putting a tinfoil hat on, I feel like some of that's intentional. There are people out there who want that outcome, who want a citizenry that's not engaged and not informed so that they can have power. And so I, I want to inform people and I want to engage people. And that's kind of the mission behind the Tuttle Twins and a lot of my books is to kind of reinvigorate these ideas and say, no, let's talk about this and let's actually teach our kids about it too. I love it. And it's so needed because like you said, um, uh, Dumbing Us Down was also one of those books that just opened my eyes. And I thought, wow, there's there there's some things that really need to change. And I was a classroom teacher mm. and I also taught... Um, I was an adjunct professor, so I taught teachers in the credentialing program. So for me <laughs> to turn into a homeschooling mom, because, you know, I thought all homeschooling moms were weird and people were crazy for doing this. But, you know, right. I wouldn't have it any other way. And um, I think it was Jennifer Pepito that once said uh, homeschooling moms and dads, I'll give you credit to, are saving the world one kid at a time. And um, I think it's really true. I do. I believe it. Yeah. So thank you for what you do. So I do. I want to jump into um, one of your um, one of my favorite books that you've written, The Passion Driven Education. But I love the subtitle, How to Use Your Child's Interest to Ignite a Lifelong Love of Learning, because that's that's really our goal. And I know in Chapter seven, bear with me because you wrote it. You probably already know what you said, but it said you and your child can experience liberation from standard structure and a conveyor belt by adopting a method of education that honors and embraces your child's individuality and unique interest. I love that. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that idea? Well, as any parent of more than one child knows, every kid is different and they have to be disciplined differently and motivated differently and educated differently. Why would we tolerate any system that treats them in a one-size-fits-all fashion? We don't parent that way. That way, why why would we uh, educate them more? Have others educate them 
in that way. So the quote that you just read, what it's really trying to get at is this idea that education is always individual. It always has been. It always will be. You can school in a collective manner. You can put a bunch of kids in a room, teach them all the same things at the same time in the same way with the same expectations. So you can school in a collective manner, but all education, true education, learning, retention, application, inspiration, right? True education, what I call it, is always individualized. It's in context of your own life. What that means is that we're all on different paths. We all have different journeys and callings in life or missions or purposes or whatever you want to say. And consequently, our education should be individualized. It should be unique and adaptable to the paths of each individual. If my son is really good with numbers and he's been blessed with that gift and he enjoys you know, math and problem solving and things like that, then maybe I should allow him to go deep in that journey and honor what his natural gifts are. Uh, if my daughter is um, really into horses, let's say, and all she wants to do is ride horses, I should probably figure out how to build an education model around what she is deeply and innately passionate about. A lot of parents struggle with it. Oh, you know, no, they got to learn all these things. Otherwise they'll be left behind or I got to make sure my child is well-rounded or, you know, this book tells me that all fourth graders, you know, I think there's a whole series called like what every fifth grader ought to know and what Mm -hmm. every sixth grader ought to know. Right. And so parents get FOMO a little bit and they're uh, on behalf of their kids. What I don't want my kids to miss out. And uh, and I think that holds our children back. If we if we allow them to deeply pursue what they're interested in, uh, as with any individual of any age, you're going to find a, a far deeper resonance with uh, with these experiences. What I mean by that is if my daughter is able to spend a ton of time learning about horses and taking care of horses and learning those responsibilities, shadowing people at the mm-hmm. you know, uh, rodeo to learn what they do, you know, or whatever, right? Those experiences are going to be long lasting. They're going to be significant. They're going to be inspirational versus if we're just sitting kids down and saying, okay, kids, today we have this worksheet on this, blah, 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 mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, you're putting stuff in their head, but but are you really giving them these experiential opportunities that are going to like form them, form their character and their personalities and their uh, their path? So there's balance in all things. I'm not saying go crazy and just let your kid do whatever they want all day long and blah, 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 <laughs> right? That's, that's not the point here. As the book says, right, intentionality is required. But but we as parents need to be better at identifying what our children's uh, interests are, which change over time, but then build a, a, rather than making them cater to us or making them cater to this system or this curriculum or these standards, we need to be flexible to them. I, I'm a religious person. I believe that God has blessed my children with unique talents, abilities, and has destined for them, if you will, a, a path that is uniquely theirs. I would be doing a disservice to them, I believe, to be imposing on them a template, whether someone else's template, some school board or something like that, or even my own. I I don't want a bunch of mini-me's, right? (laughs) My path is not theirs, so I need to adapt to them. I need to pay attention to who they are, who they are developing into, and then build an educational experience around that that best supports them on, on their journey. 
You preach it, Connor. I love it. <laughs> but, you know, homeschooling, it, one of the beauties of it is that it um, allows us as parents the opportunity to individualize our kids' education. And um, I'm like you. I truly believe that God has put this innate, first of all, desire to learn. So as parents, homeschooling moms and dads, we need to trust the process that the kids are going to learn. Um mm-hmm. But also that it's kind of our role and our privilege to figure out in our kids what those God-given gifts and talents and passions are and how God plans on using them in his kingdom. And so I think that's part of the the fun of of homeschooling the kids is is trying to figure that out. And public school just, I mean, they don't have the time, they don't have the resources, and in some situations, they don't even have the desire uh, to do that. So, yeah, I totally there's an evangelical pastor who years ago, I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head, but he said, why do Christians send their children to Caesar's schools and then become surprised when they return home as Romans, right? In other words, we're, we're mm-hmm. you know, by, by delegating that innate authority that we as parents have to someone else, we're basically outsourcing the formative development of our children during their most impressionable years mm-hmm. to an institution that probably does not share our values, does not uh, share our priorities and what our children turn into. When I, I give a lot of speeches based on uh, this book, Passion Driven Education, especially at homeschool conferences. And I always put up on, on the slide, up on the uh, projector, this screen of the priorities that I have for my children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I want them to be curious I want them to be grateful. I want them to be service-minded. I want them to have integrity. I want them to be entrepreneurial and so on and so on. There's like, you know, 10 or 15. And I I say, okay, everyone look at that board, right? You probably share a lot of these same desires for your children. Anyone here want to raise their hand and say that the public schools are doing a great job? (laughs) Right? Because Uh that's not the priority. It's just college and career readiness and you must learn all this crap and pump and dump, you know, and and cram your minds full of of, of stuff. So then I say, when I'm keep in mind at homeschool conferences, I say, okay, we all agree that the government schools are not doing a good job at this. My belief is that many homeschools are not doing a good job at this as well. Uh, Too many people are schooling in the home rather than educating in the home. And many of the same problems that we see in these institutions parents are inviting into their living room. And I think that's a a big issue in the homeschool community. And that really is a great uh, transition to the next part of your book I wanted to talk about, because I really feel like the fastest way that uh, moms and dads burn out while homeschooling or the quickest way that they can squash their child's love of learning is to do school at home. Um, And I always ask moms when I'm talking to them and they're feeling frustrated or burned out. I'm like, why are you trying to replicate in your home the very thing that you're running far, far away from? Um, And so I, I just love that in your book, you call this, I think you call it the factory model of education. I think that was a great way to describe it. So how is a passion driven education different? from this school at home approach and how can a parent get started or transition to it? Well, I um, am not the originator of the term (laughs) factory model of education. In fact, public schools for decades, about a century ago, were called factory schools. That was the the nickname given to them because, you know, through the industrial revolution and then later the, you know, progressive era and all the industrialization happening in the economy, 
you had these factories just exploding and all this productivity in the economy. And it was perceived that these schools were doing a great job at preparing children to be good factory workers. Do what you're told, raise your hand for permission, you know, follow these little steps one by one. And, and that's perhaps fine for an economy that's structured heavily around you know, that way of operating, but that's not today's economy at all. That's not today's world. And yet the institutions are still pumping out kids to be good factory line workers, you know, when 99% of them won't be. So the contrast, right, is uh, with, with passion-driven education, it's, I'll use a specific example, uh, one that I share in the book. At the time that I wrote it, my son was really into Angry Birds. And you know, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, we have all this different curriculum and these books and things, but how can I get my kid curious about algebra? Like, how do you get any kid curious about <laughs> algebra, right? And so all I did, I was, I was just dabbling with some of these ideas that later became passion-driven education, but I took the variables X and Y, these abstract variables, and I replaced them with the acronyms of my son's favorite Angry Birds. Like, let's say there's red birds, so it's RB. So I said, okay, two RB plus, you know, mm -hmm. three equals 10, right? You know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, so let's solve for RB. Like, let's figure out what number is hiding inside of that RB, right? <laughs> Just the fact that I used an angry bird acronym made algebra interesting to him, right? We pulled up a spreadsheet. I started teaching him Excel or Google spreadsheets and we started charting for all of his favorite angry birds the different colors okay how many there's three reds there's four orange okay now let me show you how to build a chart a pie graph right and so we hit the little button and okay here's what a pie graph means do you see how there's three red oh oh interesting you know and and on and on just as i am teaching him you know, we, we I, I taught him about computer development, how the apps that he uses to play Angry Birds are actually ones and zeros. There's special computer code involved. We talked about his plushie toys. He had a lot of these Angry Birds plushies. And so we talked about industrial design and manufacturing and cotton. I mean, we went and watched this whole YouTube video about cotton pickers, these big machines that, you know, go harvest cotton. And it all stemmed from looking at his plushy toy and then talking about cotton and where does that come from? And, and all of it was fascinating to him because it was all centered around a, a world that he wanted to understand more of, which is angry birds, every tangent imaginable. I mean, this is the way our minds work. If you're in, you know, curious about, you know, baking, then, you know, you're going to go look into like, how do I substitute ingredients and how do I, you know, uh, cook at different temperatures. What about solar ovens and, you know, whatever, right? And and so you can go down those little rabbit holes that that help amplify and augment uh, your, your passion. And so for me, it all boils down to the fact that rather than making my son in this example, uh, go through this workbook or go through this standard process and learn, you know, what this curriculum creator says to learn instead i can say well how do i how do i help him learn something he's already curious about when we teach children a topic biology you know geography mathematics or whatever oftentimes we're talking to them in a foreign language what i mean by that is to learn geography 
you're kind of having to learn a bunch of new words, a different way of kind of relating concepts together. You're having to become fluent in this other language of information in order to then understand it. Um, the equivalent for me is like taking your kid to, I don't know, Czechoslovakia, dropping them off, giving them 20 bucks and saying, good luck, kid, you're on your own, figure it out. <laughs> right? We would never think of just some, you know, submerging our, our children in this immersive experience where they don't know the language and they have to like figure out everything about life. So for me, when I want to teach my kid biology or geography or mathematics, instead of making them learn the foreign language, I want to translate it to their language. If my son's language is angry birds, if all he talks about and thinks about is angry birds, I want to take these concepts out here and build a connection or a hook into what he's already wondering about and thinking about and curious about so that he perceives it in the language that he knows. And, you know, maybe he'll end up developing a curiosity for geography and go learn that language and go okay. deep. That's fine. But in the meantime, I'm honoring his person, his path, his curiosity, but I'm also serving my role as parent. And that is making sure that he does learn, you know, all these different aspects of life. I'm just not forcing him to do it on someone else's term or in their language. I'm doing a little bit of work and putting in the effort to translate it to a language that, that he can understand. So that, that's kind of the theory or the concept behind passion-driven education. It's a totally inverted model from what uh, a lot of us experience, but I think it's a model that better and or best honors the individuality of the child which any human wants. We all want, I mean, I just literally, I had lunch before our, our Zoom interview here. Mm -hmm. I used DoorDash. They delivered it right to my front door uh, at the time that I wanted, exactly what I wanted. We love this. It's amazing that you can, I don't have to go to some restaurant, wait in line, you know, and, and you know, do things on their terms. I can do things on my terms. We all love this as humans. Why don't we let our children experience it too? That's a great analogy. And it reminds me of, um, I think my son was in fifth grade and he was having such a hard time with um, decimals and percentages and, and all that kind of stuff that most fifth graders have a hard time with. And I think I mentioned this before, he lives and breathes baseball. So mm -hmm. for a whole year, I did exactly what you just described. I translated his language, which was baseball into all of the things that he was learning. That's how we did geography. So he learned about all the states um, that had baseball stadiums. <laughs> nice. And his his favorite. And we even played a battle with all of his baseball card collection. And so we would look at batting averages, which are all in decimal form. And we would right. play battles. So we would flip over the two cards and whichever one had the better, uh, you know, average. So he was learning about. And then we did the whole statistics and, and then he kept his own statistics. So, yeah, That's awesome. he was definitely more involved that year <laughs> with That's math cool. than any other uh, year. OK, so here's the question. So. You share this with parents. I tell parents this all the time. You got, but I like how you explained it. Put it in their language. Um, the next question that comes for a lot of them is, well, what about the standards? What do you say when they ask you about those lovely standards? <laughs> so, you know, some states for homeschoolers do require certain curriculum and information to be taught. So sometimes you just have to you know, deal with that as a baseline and you have to jump through that hurdle. Uh, however, 
many states don't require such things of homeschoolers, including the state that I'm in. And and yet you find homeschooling families still, you know, in that FOMO sense, like, oh, but what about all the checking all the boxes of all the topics? And, you know, I want my kid to go to college or get a good job. And so they got to learn every little thing. Um, I, I am not anti-standards. Let me be clear. I, I think standards are important. Uh, what I what I think is more important, though, is adaptability or flexibility. What I mean by that is this. Um, let's say kind of a, a standard for an eighth grader is, hey, they should be, you know, I'm just making this up. They should yeah. read poetry. Uh, they should be able to do basic algebra. They should know all the capitals of the United States. Uh, and they should know the major events of the U.S. Revolutionary War, right? As just a kind of cross-spectrum uh, list of things. Obviously, standards are more robust and more in-depth. Okay, great. That's a, a good standard as a reference point of saying, like, here's in general what eighth graders are taught. I have no problem with that as kind of a societal baseline or a reference point for parents to kind of, like, uh, check against what they're doing. What I think is a problem is then is when parents treat that as some kind of religious decree that, you know, every aspect of that you need to make sure your child knows. I think we need to remember as parents that it's okay that our children do not learn all the things about all the things. Why? Because we don't operate that way. Let's not demand more of our children than we demand of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Parents, when was the last time that you had to use the quadratic formula, right? Or draw an isosceles triangle. And, you know, when's the last time that you needed to write out the names of all the delegates to the Constitutional Convention? Like, these are relevant and important things. But why don't we actually treat our kids the way that we allow ourselves to be treated? And that is, it's okay to use Google to look something up that you don't know, right? Or mm -hmm. go read Wikipedia. You don't need to just have all this stuff swirling around in your brain. I remember when graphing calculators came out when I was in mm -hmm. high school, the TI-82 and the 83, and uh, they got so good that you could play little games on them and stuff like that, little kind of Atari-like games. And I remember teachers kind of freaking out, right? Because, no, oh, this is going to do kids' work for them. This is going to you know, make it too easy. But man, like it, schools too often are this weird, um, like fictional environment uh, that, that does not comport with reality. Reality is we don't memorize everything. We don't know everything. That is okay. We specialize. We focus where we want to go develop expertise. In. And I get it. Kids don't yet know what their path is. They don't yet know what the expertise is. That's why going back to the, the initial part, I think adaptability and flexibility is what's better. The standards are good as a, a reference point. Hey, here's what I should kind of keep in mind, be talking to my kids every now and then about. But hey, today my kid is just going to go binge, you know, learning about all the states where there's stadiums and watching <laughs> videos about, you know, how they're financed by cities or how they're built or, you know, whatever, right? And then next week, my kid's really interested in canoeing. And so we're going to go on a canoeing trip and we're reading a story from the pioneer era about canoe building. And like, let's be flexible and recognize that our children should be empowered to live uh, the way that we as adults live. The final thing I'll say on this is there's a fantastic book by Peter Gray 
called Free to Learn. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is one of a very few number of books that I recommend to all parents. And it's basically talking about how humans have learned since time immemorial. And that is the children imitate the adults, right? Traditionally, the girls would kind of play, you know, housewife or, you know, the cook and they'd have little kitchens and, and so forth. And the boys will go out and, you know, play war, or, you know, hunting and, mm-hmm. and whatever. And, uh, and through play, they would learn, they would imitate what they know or see the adults doing. And they would uh, create these games and have this very flexible environment to just kind of mimic what they see in the adults. Our modern education system has totally suppressed uh, those opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I think a real benefit of homeschooling is to basically let our kids be mini versions of us. And and then back to the point of your question, that means not compelling them to learn everything a standard says they need to learn. Because if we're not going to hold ourselves to that standard, right. <laughs> it's probably unreasonable that we impose that upon them only for them to turn 18 and say, oh, okay, now you don't need to have any standards. You went through those hurdles and, and that arbitrary mm-hmm. artificial process that isn't at all like what real life is about. So welcome to real life, finally. No, no, let's, <laughs> let's let our kids embrace the real world at their age and live and learn in the same way that we do. Again, Connor, you preach it. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so just real quick, I wanted to switch gears just for a moment. I talk a little bit about um, my other favorite book of yours, Skip College, Launch Your Career Without Debt, Distraction, or Degree, just because I just love this book so much. I mean, everything about the title grabbed my attention because at the time, I my son was, I think, a sophomore. And so, um, and he knew, like I was telling you, what he wanted to do, he didn't need a degree for And so um, we picked up this book. Like I said, we read it in a couple of days. So in a nutshell, can you share, and I think it's a good transition to what Skip College is about and how it helps parents and teens and young adults even change their perspective about post-graduation goals? Yeah, you know, I would find over the years, speaking at homeschool conventions, that there was this clear recognition that the conveyor belt mentality was a problem. In other words, most of these families had left a system where it's just like, okay, you do, you learn this thing and then this thing, and then you keep going through the K through 12 experience. So many of these families said, "Uh -uh, we're not doing that. We're going to go homeschool. We're going to go build a education, you know, model for our own family. Awesome. (laughs) However, many of these same families would then, as their children mature, encourage them or require them to go back onto a conveyor belt for college. And so this was kind of nagging in the back of my head as I would talk to the moms, mostly the moms, you know, after these homeschool conferences and they would, well, what about college? You know, and they would be asking me all these questions. So it finally dawned on me that there wasn't the same recognition about the college conveyor belt problems as there was about the K through 12 conveyor belt problems. And I thought, Maybe if we did a book, and I, so I partnered on this book with a bunch of other friends and authors, um, and I said, if we do a book about this, maybe it will help more people realize the problems with the college conveyor belt. One of the great honors of my life, uh, I mentioned earlier that John Taylor Gatto, uh, his book was instrumental in why we decided to homeschool our children. When I wrote Passion Driven Education, the previous book we were discussing, he wrote a foreword uh, mm-hmm. for the book, which was awesome. And then a couple years, few years later, we're doing this Skip College book. I reached out to him and I said, hey, here's what I'm thinking. You know, I'd love for you to be a part of this. So he contributed a chapter 
talking about kind of the real underground history of higher education, so-called. And uh, it's the last thing he ever wrote. Uh, he passed away shortly after he he wrote that. So that was a great honor of mine to have a kind of a mentor and an inspiration like him included in this book. But perspectives like his, where we could draw them in and say, hey, guys, let's, you know, I encourage you to make an informed decision. As provocatively titled as the book is, mm-hmm. as you know, having read it, the thesis is not really right. that everyone should be skipping college. Ultimately, it's like, well, maybe the presumption should be that you don't need to go to college unless you have clear and compelling reasons to do so, right? right? If you're going to be a doctor, sorry, you just got to jump <laughs> through the hurdles. But at mm-hmm. least you can do it with eyes wide open. Having mm-hmm. read a lot of this stuff, you can kind of contemplate, hey, maybe there are ways that I can do an accelerated path. Or maybe I can you know, do something where I go to a cheap community college to jump through those hoops, save money, do it more quickly, and then accelerate mm-hmm. my, you know... I don't have to just like go to the most prestigious school for my undergrad because ultimately who cares, right? So it's the intentionality that we're after to say, even if you go to school, do it with eyes wide open, understand the dangers of the conveyor belt that you're on so that you're not swept off into a direction that you don't uh, don't want to go. So it's been very helpful to a lot of families I've heard from as, as you've kind of shared your own experience with your son who realized like, oh, actually maybe we should take the same perspective we have on the K through 12 system and maybe apply that to the college system. You know, I, I think the biggest factor we're dealing with is we, we talked about FOMO of the parents earlier on, kind of a related thing going on when their kids are are in their, you know, late teens, early 20s, where the parents get really nervous about, oh, my kid's about to leave the nest. Are they going to be competent? Are they going to find a good job? Are they going to have to live in my basement for the next decade? And so that becomes a very acute problem that leads a lot of these parents to just say, oh, okay, go to college because it'll be the best you know, guarantee of success rather than going down a different. So I think the parental uh, fear and that they project onto their kids is a big problem that we need to solve for. Yes. And I know for my daughter, she also picked up the book after um, my son ranted and raved about it because reading's not his his favorite thing to do. And so when he was ranting and raving about this book, my daughter, who's very, you know, college minded, she was like, well, let me let me read this book. And it was because of that book and a couple of other things that um, her dad and her grandfather told her uh, she did go to grad school because she needs it for what she wants to do and quite possibly Ph.D. as well. But she did it without debt. And she got a lot of the ideas from that book. Um, So thank you from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of my pocketbook. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, she, she actually is paying all for her grad school and she's doing it without debt. So, and a lot of that book. So thank you. Kudos to you and her. That's awesome. Thanks. All right. So it's been great, but I did want to end before we go. I always ask um, my gracious, um, Yes. What words of encouragement can you give to the parents about education or about learning or homeschooling or just parenting in general? I think there has never been a better time to be a homeschooler. Uh, You know, we're no longer perceived as weirdos. Mm -hmm. If anything, it's quite the opposite. It's the weirdos who are sending their kids (laughs) to be masked and you know, socially distant and all the nonsense that was going on, right? So public perception has shifted. Homeschooling has tripled just in the past couple of years post-COVID. There's a vast array of resources online. There's homeschool co-ops up the wazoo all over the country, support systems, mom groups, 
you know, I mean, the, the, I it has never been a better time to to homeschool. We live in this economy that's increasingly individualized, as I mentioned with me getting my lunch today, right? And and I think the same is true of our education system. It's never been easier to individualize your own child's uh, education. Um, but I'll end with this word of advice. You mentioned burnout uh, that a lot of these uh, moms can often get in, in homeschooling. And from my perspective, having done a lot of these conferences and, and talked with a lot of parents about this, my perception is that a big part of the homeschooling burnout comes from the misplaced idea that moms, mostly, need to be the knowers of all things, that they need to be the source of wisdom on, you know, science and English and history and blah, 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 blah. That, oh my gosh, I'm homeschooling. I didn't do good at these subjects in school, or I don't remember the, you know, quadratic equation or all this stuff. And so the moms, again, mostly seem to become very insecure. They feel this weight on their shoulders that, oh, I need to go learn all these things and I need to go do all this homework so that my kids can learn because now I'm the teacher. Okay, I think that is a totally flawed model. It's a great way to burn out. And it's a great way to impose upon yourself extremely unrealistic expectations. Again, as adults, we don't require ourselves to be masters of all knowledge, right? We, we specialize, division of labor. We focus in different areas. So I think a better way to homeschool. And I, I even hate the term homeschooling because I don't want to school in my home. Right. Right. It's just home education or just education. I don't know. I, so I, don't, I, I don't necessarily love the term homeschooling, but I think a better way to do home education is for moms to see themselves or the parents, not as knowers of all things, but as expert Googlers. <laughs> Anyone can do that. Because I'm an expert Googler. <laughs> see, there you go. Yeah. If your kid comes to you and says, hey, I have this question about Napoleon. Why did he do X, Y, and Z? I read this in a book, right? I don't have to feel guilty that I don't have to, uh, that I don't know. I don't need to project and, and make my kid think that I know. And that, you know, I mean, what better way to create anxiety in kids than to lead them to believe that they need to know and memorize everything to be a competent adult? How much better it is if when your daughter asks you about Napoleon, you say, I don't know, let's look it up together. Then you're showing your kids intellectual humility. You're showing them that it's okay not to know. You're, you're allowing them that grace. You're setting realistic expectations, but you're also teaching them where to go look for information, that we are not the source of information and truth, nor are there teachers or the authors of the books they read or the curriculum creators, right? They're not uh, the source of truth. Let's do our own research. Let's think critically. Let's find different ways to access this information. What better gift that we can give our kids? And even better, any parent can do this. We are all expert Googlers. We all know how to look <laughs> stuff up, right? Let's let's like roll that off our shoulders, this, this idea that we need, need to know everything. Let's instead lean into the fact that we don't, but let's go on a journey together with our kids. Let's learn alongside them, show them how you research, how you learn. And they'll be much better equipped for the future. I've, I've shared that message uh, with many groups over the years. And it feels like my perception is that you you see these shoulders kind of loosen up. And you're like, mm -hmm. oh, maybe I can cut myself some slack, you know? And these parents starting to be like, all right, I got this, right? I, I can Google pretty well. I can help my kids <laughs> find resources. Uh, so that's the parting message I would give. It's never been an easier time. And it's not as hard as you think.
Perfect parting words. I love it. Thank you so much. So thanks for hanging out with me. I really enjoyed this conversation and um, I know the moms are going to be blessed by it. Thank you, Connor. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me and with Connor Boyack and joining me for this little coffee break. Make sure you check out all of Connor's websites and books. You can also find him on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'll have all the links in the show notes. If this is your first time joining me, make sure you check out my book, Just Breathe and Take a Sip of Coffee, Homeschool and Step with God. And if you're new to homeschooling or you're looking for ways to simplify and streamline your homeschooling in 2023, this is a perfect book to read. You can purchase it at Amazon or at my website, coffeewithcarry.org. It's my prayer that my website, homeschooling consulting services, podcast, and book will help you homeschool one step at a time, one day at a time, and one cup of coffee at a time. We're praying for you. Stay healthy. God bless. And see you next time.